Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Living by the Word Ministries, presentation of the Bible Information Brokers. The Bible Information Brokers team, my name is Daryl Easy Fulton, along with Professor Craig Hawkins, we call him PCH, and um, Brian Allen, and also Eric. Eric is receiving your phone calls at 888-995-5552, 888-995-5552. Gabriel breaks all that stuff together by an engineer standpoint, and we really appreciate his diligent effort. Uh, PCH, um, I want to deal with something in regards to all this bad news we have about the wars and the various things that's happening over there in Europe and, uh, you know, just the trouble we have in our own land. Uh, man, I can use some good news, but uh, can you give me some good news without giving me bad news in, in regards to this whole biblical thing? Well, we can, but we have some more bad news first. I would argue as depressed or as concerned as mine might be, about whatever, there, there's there's more bad news, and what is that? And that is, we're, I'm going to need to be morbid, but we're all going to pass away. Mm. Should the Lord tarry, we're all going to die. I was at a memorial funeral service just the other day, and one of the speakers did a phenomenal job of talking about her dear friend, her sister-in-law, who had passed, and the point being this is that she made the point, you know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're not guaranteed you know, thinking we're going to live 70, 80 years. But even if we live 70, 80 years, 90, you're still going to pass away. I mean, I'm fortunate. My dad is 94, but, mm-hmm. you know, he's not going to live forever, though. He's 94, but he shows he's 94. And and so the the bad news I have, the realistic news, is we're all going to, to die. I'll use that word. We're going to die, should the Lord tarry. That is, that is the bad news. So whatever you think is out there, bad news, and there is one one disease from which you will not recover. That's your last one. Um, so that's that's reality. We're not trying to be morbid or just appeal to fear, but I'm appe- appealing to reality. Like you go into your doctor and they say, "Man, your cholesterol is too high. You 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 have, have a clogged artery, or, or you know one or more." Uh, and so you need to get this taken care of. We need to deal with this, a, you know, stat ASAP. So, my, but my point is, for those who acknowledge they're messed up, who acknowledge they're imperfect, who acknowledge they can't save themselves, who acknowledge that there is a God, and that you're going to meet Him, not if, but when you're going to meet God. And the question is, are you going to be ready to meet Him? And that is by trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. So, for those who are fearful, we do have the antidote. This, I'm not trying to be cute or just be simplistic here, but but truly the, the antidote is the Lord Jesus Christ and a personal relationship with Him as your Savior, trusting in Him and Him alone for salvation. That's what it's all about. That's that's what matters, is that one knows Christ as our Lord and Savior, ask for forgiveness, and trust in Him as our Lord and Savior. Nothing else matters. I mean, look, most people aren't having a great life, but let's just say you're one of those whose life is just about as good as it gets. Everybody wants to have your life. What I still know is you're going to die someday, and someday life's going to get really brutal. You're going to pass, and you're going to meet God. So words of the wise, meet Him on His terms. Ask for forgiveness now. Nothing you're doing brings ultimate fulfillment, contentment, purpose, significance to you. It's all vanity, vanity, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. It's a temporary stopgap measure to ease your pain, to dull your pain, to numb your pain, but eventually the pain will come back. And I don't just mean physical, I mean the pain of one's soul, the pain of loneliness and emptiness and lack of meaning and purpose and significance and belonging. 
it is normal and healthy to want to belong, to have a sense of identity and worth and value. And you will only find that in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Because someday we're going to be attending your funeral. Yes. Or at least if we're not here, someone else will be attending your funeral. You need to think of that. Live life today, now, in light of eternity. Ask God for forgiveness of your sins. Trust in Christ. Believe on Him and Him alone for salvation. And know that He alone gives you life and that more abundantly. Eternal life isn't just longevity. It is the quality of life. It is the ultimate life. It is the life that we all want, the life of that fulfillment and contentment that is found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You've been told the truth. You've been given the good news. It's time now to embrace the good news in light of the bad news and pass from death to life and by a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You heard the good word here. Please, please, please consider deeply, even even now. Triple eight nine nine five 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 two is the number. Triple eight nine nine five 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 two. Eric does have a few more open lines. Let's get those filled up, David. We're going to get to you momentarily. Uh, we're going to go to Sean right now. But before I do that, let me also let you know that you can go online with us with Facebook, emailing us that, uh, questions tweeting us questions or even messengering us questions if I said that right it's all Bible Info Brokers Bible Info Brokers of various formats let's get those questions in here let's take care of all the questions and give you a biblical response let's take advantage of the time that God gave us this day let's go right to the city of Orange County I think it's either Orange County or the city of Orange Sean are you there with us Uh, is it Orange County or the city of Orange uh, it's it's uh, actually Irvine. Irvine, okay, very well. Thank you. Okay, what's your question for the night, John? I wanted to. Sean, I'm not hearing you. I'm. I'm um, are you still there? Uh, hey, can you hear me? Uh, just it's, it sounds almost like a little muffled. But go right. Let's see if we can uh, maintain this. Go ahead, Sean. Um. <clears throat> So I basically uh, was hoping to uh, to ask if uh, if you think that leadership would solve a lot of these things, and the kind of leadership that came to mind was Muhammad Ali in the midst of being pushed to go to war, and he's hanging on to his belief under one God, which forms the Constitution, coincidentally, that um, he wasn't going to go killing anybody that he felt didn't do anything. And that's a no-no when you're uh, just to follow orders. And he goes to prison for it. And that's the kind of leadership I I wanted to to bring up because that was an era um, of, of observing leadership based on faith, it's in that one God faith that no, he gotcha. was doing that. He was a, yeah. Well, I can answer, so you, I can answer your question for me, and Brian. Was the thing. Okay, I can answer your question for me in one word, no. Uh, because if you had a, if you had a society 
uh, our society, because of our Constitution, allows for you to have grievances and to be able to uh, challenge your government on, on various uh, areas, even like uh, uh, Muhammad Ali did uh, himself. You know, you, uh, you know, pay certain consequences, but just imagine all the people before Muhammad Ali uh, that died so that he can have that uh, privilege to do that. And so I would not want our society to have every single person in it to um, to do what he did. Uh, I'm not saying that um, I agree or disagree with him. I'm just simply saying that, no, I wouldn't want leaders to be predicated upon, um, it's, it's the word for it, and I forget the word off the top of my head, whereby it's basically just saying you disagree with the government like Ali did, and then he know what the consequences were, and so he made his choice. But if everybody made that choice, then he wouldn't have the, had the freedom that he did to be able to make the choice that he made. Brian, correct? Well, Daryl, my answer is very similar. Why I appreciate people have convictions and are uh, forms of conscientious objections. That's, that's what I was looking for. That's and, the word. That's the and, word. And I've supported uh, people uh, of that uh, who hold those views. But, my, Daryl, my answer is just basically almost exactly yours. But that that only can exist because people like me are, are willing to go fight, yes. not for any cause, but what's called just war theory, for, for their freedoms. I, I mean, let me put it this way, because, because of my grandfathers, both of them and my dad, from World War II to, to Korea and Vietnam, people can do that because people like him put their lives on the line and lost many friends. So if everybody did that, there would be no freedom because you, there would be people um, and various governments and nations that, I mean, basically, well, we would be, well, anyways, the point is, we would not be free. I'll just leave it at that. So he could have, he could do that while I respect that if everybody did that, then the rest of us, none of us would be free because there would be people who would basically enslave us, all the rest of us, into their, their, their systems of government or what have you. So, anyway, yeah, Daryl, I'm with you on this one. And, and on top of that as well, um, you got to look at the, uh, the person that he was and, the following that he had just from uh, just from who he was. Uh, totally agree, though, with both of you guys. Yeah, he, he was only able to do it because of everybody else fighting for the freedoms that we have. Mm -hmm. So, um, <clears throat> but, you know, it would be, uh, you know, one of the things about him is that he was very convicted on certain things and he would not... Uh, he would not back down based on his beliefs and he would fight for what he would believe. And, um, <clears throat> I do give that to him. Yeah. And so, uh, and as you know, I spent a lot of time with him mm -hmm. and, uh, he, he was just a very charismatic person, but, uh, he was a smart individual. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, he was very convicted about his, whatever belief that was. And he would just, uh, he would go for it. Indeed. Hey, David, we really appreciate your phone call on that. Um, no, it wasn't David. That was, who was that I was just talking to? I'm sorry. I apologize. John. John. John did. Yeah, well, of course, he was into the Nation of Islam. Right. Uh, Wallace Sard, and uh, he had a relationship with Malcolm X, and I could talk about that. <clears throat> so there's a lot of things going on there that would need to be brought up, but I was going to leave it at that for now. And, and it'd be nice to have to, to see Christians, leaders, with that same conviction and that same drive and that same, not that they're not out there, but it'd be nice to see a whole lot more of them. 
I just think of many biblical examples that uh, God dealt with when Israel was um, being uh, led by God. He allowed them to have the king. <laughs> they rejected him as king, and he got these kings. And um, the very, I mean, Gideon reminds me of, uh, of the story. And David had these fighting men and stuff like that. And they didn't. You didn't want to discourage, um, you know, the, the people that are actually going to sacrifice their life to save you, so you can have uh, these freedoms that we have here. And that's, I mean, I've, I've, enough said on that as far as I'm concerned, because that is uh, very, very, very heavy. I have many, many people in my family who died for this country, and it's not that I'm going to get all cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs about it, but what I will say is what I already said, and I'll just emphasize it. So I appreciate that call, Sean. 888-995-5552, 888-995-5552 is the number. Call Eric right now. Everything else is Bible Info Brokers, Bible Info Brokers. Uh, on Facebook, email, tweet, or messenger. Let's go back to the telephone calls, uh, guys, and talk with um, David in Pasadena. David, thanks for holding on and calling in. Yes, hello. Hi. What's your question I for the night? question about Armageddon. Mm-hmm. Armageddon. What, what's your question about it? Well, when Jesus returns to fight Armageddon, uh, he says he returns with... 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands of his saints, right? They're all dressed in white, riding on white, white horses, you know, men and women, you know, whatever they are. So they come back. Is, how does Jesus destroy those uh, armies of the Antichrist? And how should he, does he say with the breadth of his mouth and the sword of his mouth? So what are those, all that multitude of people that are riding with him, what do they do? Appreciate what happened. What, what are your thoughts on that, brother? I don't know. Yeah, I, good question. I sure we don't know. Yeah. I, I, and I always choose not to, to to speculate. I mean, it's a good question Dave is asking, but it does it doesn't tell us. So somehow they're involved in it, even wait, it's just wait, witnesses or backup. I mean, God, God doesn't need any help from anybody. I doesn't need angels to fight for him. He doesn't need us in the in an ultimate sense, and and that sense. But they're, they're there. It does mention them. And may just be simply for for as witnesses, but other than that, I don't know. It doesn't tell me, so it's a good question, David. Yeah, the Bible. Jesus says he would destroy them with the breath of his mouth, and it's yeah. the sword of his mouth. He just go like that, and all those armies would just be thrown into the lake of fire. But if, if yeah, and, and the thing not. is too with, with the you know, there, there's a lot of symbolism going on, and uh, well, yes, you can and, call it symbolism, but really, it's as real as today's headlines. Well, what I'm saying is that. You know, Jesus, you know, they will be destroyed, okay? But yeah. just like when it says on how it's going to be done, uh, you, you have to remember when this book was written and what's being said. And there's oh, a yes. lot of symbolism in that in, in the book. And so, you know, we can't say for sure that it's ex- exactly, you know, we, you know. Well, in this case, it's not using symbolism or allegory. It's talking about a real, a real... Let me just say this. God doesn't have to do it. He doesn't have to breathe on somebody. All God has to do is simply think it and, and, and that. I mean, well, so I, he spoke, I mean, he spoke the universe into existence. He can unspeak it. He can unspeak the Right, but, okay, but, but what I'm saying is those are figures of speech. He doesn't have to speak it. Some people want to say, well, if he doesn't speak it, it can't happen. God doesn't have to speak well, it. He, he simply, the, the idea is... These are idioms like saying that we're without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. But yeah. shedding of blood is an idiom for for death. 
Um, so, so anyways, here's my point. Uh, humanly, you might think, well, God's the ultimate Bruce Lee, if you will. I mean, God, God knows the best martial arts. No, he doesn't have to resort to any of that stuff. He doesn't need any of that. It is simply put that God, all you have to do is think it. But you are right. That's what you quote is what the Bible says. But the question is, what does that mean? And hopefully someday David will be there and see it, and then we'll both know full well time. what he meant by it. Out, so find out pretty soon, though, the way the world is going, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I always chuckle on your point there, David. I always chuckle on people who don't believe in prophecy, and I'm like, "Well, you may not believe it, but you better, but you better tell all these other people that because they're fulfilling it." <laughs> indeed, indeed. Hey, David. I, I'm a student, yeah. student, I've studied Bible prophecy for ten years, and I know it's so, so true. All right, David. Hey, we appreciate your phone call. Hey, my friend. Hey, God bless you, Dave. Appreciate that phone call, man. And that, and that, and again, that those things are important. The things we don't know for sure. Uh, we don't know for sure, but I tell you one thing: God, we, like we, said, we know we, they're going to happen. Yeah, but that, how it happens, that, like, that's like okay. Craig said, they're idioms, and so. And, 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 and I appreciate throughout the Bible that when God uh, does something a certain way, He does it. I mean, it's like it's it's clear. It's, it's history, not uh, prophecy that's coming. And unless He articulates exactly how well, it's going to go well, down. Well, look, look at um, look what Jesus said. He said, "Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up." Okay, well, what did he mean by temple? <laughs> okay, he was speaking of the temple of his body. Indeed, but indeed. if you know, if you didn't have that, you right. know, you know, idioms. But I mean, I'm just I'm chuckling only because the Bible then goes on to say what the people around him were saying about that. Look at this, and this guy talking about he's going to destroy some temple, raise it up. What he talking about, man? That thing. Yeah, took years. Yeah, it took exactly. years to build that rascal. You know. So hey, there, there we go, there we go, ladies and gentlemen. What say you? You have a question? Give us a call. 888-995-5552. 888-995-5552 is the number. Well, Brian, before you give me your question, let me give the uh, that Bible information broker stuff. You can call on that 888 number, yeah. or you can send Bible information brokers or Bible info brokers on Facebook, email, or tweet. Now, what say you, Brian? Here's a question I have. Um, um Gosh, I just forgot my question. <laughs> Ooh, Craig, uh, you want you want to take this one, no, Craig? No, no, here I, I got it. I got it. I heard. I thought I heard some I bus. I, I thought it. I was giving you the bus, Craig. I'll give you the keys to the bus, brother. I got it. <laughs> All right, you missed it. He, he he's back with us. <laughs> here, here's here's my question. You know, today, you know, Pastor Steve was he's in the Book of Exodus, and we're talking about the parting of the Red Sea, and you know, I saw a documentary. It was really really good, and it showed. Uh, where um, uh, they took underwater cameras and they showed like where a lot of the, where the parting of the, uh, uh, where the uh, Israelites went through the Red Sea and they showed uh, underwater, they had many, many chariots. Well, they had the, uh, the, 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 the wheels and, you know, there was um, uh, just because of, of the years, there was a lot of, uh, what do you call this stuff once it gets on in, in uh, underwater over a period of time? Um, algae, you know. That's it was a- an algae, but uh, I can't think of a name of it. But you could see it, but you could see the outline of the of the uh, the wheels of the chariots. Okay. And uh, they also said they have found like uh, bones of horses. Um, but what's interesting was, and. Uh, my thought is this, because I've, I've, I've heard this in other areas, too, where they don't 
allow anybody to excavate, uh, um, to pull up a lot of these ruins and these remains from the sea. They have to stay there. Okay. And it's interesting uh, how some other countries where you have biblical evidence, they don't allow you to uh, excavate those remains. And it's, it was interesting because I wonder why they don't allow that. Have you heard anything or why you think they wouldn't allow that? Well, sure. First of all, I, I have a bunch of pictures of that stuff that you're referring to in the area. They believe that the, the crossing probably would have occurred. You do find these uh, parts of chariots and horse bones and everything right. else from that from that period. But the reason is, yeah, I, I mean, it's, I, I spent time studying archaeology and whatnot. But the reason a lot of it doesn't happen is because people live there. <laughs> it's it's first of all, it's very expensive to, to to do, and it's painstaking work. You have to be very careful. You can't just go in there and take a backhoe to it because you're going to ruin all kinds of things. But many, I mean, you have, we have to understand many of these tales. Some of them are out in the desert, these mounds, if you will, where there's been some previous. Uh, either a city there or you know, some type of monument or, you know, some, some type of um, structure was there or a whole city was there. But, but a lot of these are in areas where they're populated. And so a lot of this stuff is it's layer upon layer upon layer and it's built upon. So if you start excavating, you'd be excavating underneath someone's house. Well, of course, that can't happen because, indeed, you destroy their house, and people aren't going to let that happen. And companies, and so on and so forth. So that's part. That's a big part of it, Brian. Why is simply because. And then there's the issues like there's stuff around the dome of the rock. Well, of course, our Muslim friends aren't going to allow anybody doing. They don't want any excavation doing around there. And Israel's been kind of sneaky how they've gone around that and and dealt with that. But a big part of that, I thought, friend. I studied with a world-class archaeologist. One of the courses I was able to have actually a couple with him. One of my friends went spent time over doing archaeological work in in, in Israel and so on and so forth. But again, Brian, there's a number of factors why well, you just can't dig everywhere. I mean, could you imagine somebody coming in your yard and saying, "Well, there's something of value here. We're going to dig up your whole yard, and we're going to tunnel into your house and and risk uh, your house collapsing." And yeah, so but that's that's a big part of it. Yeah, and I was interested because this was this part, this one was in the sea, and again, uh, I guess maybe a lot of stuff was going on in that area where you know, they can't get a team or they, it would just be, like you said, kind of having, you know, very, being very disruptive, uh, going down there and pulling up the chariot wheels and the parts of the chariot and the bones and all that kind of stuff. But what was very vivid. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what was cool though, was the fact that you can see all that. And, you know, it made me think of, um, just how great, uh, archaeology is mm, and uh, I, I really love it because and, and you think of all the uh, the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of excavations they've had and everything always 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 supports the Bible and with all of these excavations you know there's there's I don't not heard of one that disagrees or contradicts what the Bible Says. And I'm, I'm glad you guys said that. I mean, you know, in, in my many so-called travels, I remember riding that camel around the um, around the pyramids. And I always said when I read the book of the Bible, the books in the Bible, they talk about letters that was written to this person and given. I would love to be able to get that letter 
that David gave to Uriah uh, sealed that he took over to his general and he got himself killed. Um, you know, that whole situation with David and Bathsheba and the Psalm 51 came out of that. Uh, those type of things I'm very intrigued about and love to know. If, I don't even know if they found that or not, but just imagine having that type of stuff. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, I think of the, I think it was a Harvard professor basically said um, Pontius the Bible isn't true because Pontius Pilate wasn't a real person. Yeah, right. And, you know, they, they do a an excavation. A they coin. find a coin and guess whose name's on that, you know? Jeffries? No, just kidding. No, or like, you know, they didn't use nails and crucifixions. Yeah, yeah. Guess what? They do an excavation. They they find a little boy with a seven-inch spike in his feet. Yeah. And hey, Craig, Craig, the archaeologist that you uh, you dealt with, what was their area of um, of their uh, discoveries? Well, they ran the Holy Land Institute, which does all kinds of research. Wow. So it's not okay. just one area, it's wow. multiple. I, I've always been fascinated by archaeology. There's a number of great books, and indeed, the physical evidence supports the biblical claims. Now, mm-hmm. I can't necessarily prove the metaphysical claims, but it proves the Bible is trustworthy and reliable. Right, right, right. <laughs> when Paul says there was a certain gate or a certain monument or idol a certain place, we, we found many of these things. We've excavated at a number of places and found, I mean, even the Jericho, and it was like the walls fell outward. I mean, exactly. what's up with that? I mean, uh, there was a lot of things said people doubted about Assyria, and then uh, then uh, a number of folks spent their life excavating in, in, in Assyria and found the things they said that didn't exist. You mentioned Pontius Pilate in the 60s, they were doubting his existence, and then they found the whole Actually, as well, they found a excuse me, um, uh, an amphitheater that he built and dedicated to near to Caesar to Nero. And so, uh, one example: there's all kinds of letters that have been found. Darrell, I don't know about the one you know you were mentioning. Right. Now, I, the odds of that being found are almost non-existent because of deterioration mm-hmm. even in that dry climate. But I think of a classic example is. There is the letter of the one governor, and he writes a letter to to, to Nero about the charges against Paul, because Paul, the Roman citizen, had yeah. appealed to Nero. By the way, even the court and legal practices that are described described by the Greeks and the Romans and the Jews is according to what is what we know to be the case. So even the the geopolitical matters, the legal matters, nautical concerns, geopolitical titles, you name it, they're all right, 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 right. Particularly use the Book of Acts. But my point was in the Book of Acts, it mentions that they refer to, in the Greek text at least, it says that they refer to Nero as Kurios, which is Mm. Lord. And then the higher critics said, oh, well, this is obviously fallacious, patently false, because we know, we know, I'll come back to that, we know mm-hmm. that, that the emperors were not called curios or lord. And then, lo and behold, they find a number of letters that were written about the same time that this, this would have been written to Nero. And there was, for example, one city having trouble with another city and asking Nero to intervene, and guess what they called him? Curios. So there's the case of of the archaeology again showing the incredible 
reliability of the Bible. Man, I, look, I'm I'm a, I'm a love when I get in my older age, older than this, uh, to be able to travel around just to go to these various places and just some of even the you know uh, the missionary trips that Paul took and all the other things. I'm interested. In, I'm I'm very interested in all the the battle. Elijah, I want to see the, the the prophets of Baal, the 400 guys that <laughs> couldn't get fire come down. I want to see all that stuff, man. If, if you know, uh, if they have it, if they have it. Craig, what book would you recommend? Uh, out there for archaeology? Well, there's a, there's a number of them. An older one is called The Stones in the Scripture, still one of my favorites, even the though it's in the scripture. by Edwin Yamauchi. But John McRae, M-C, capital R-A-Y, John McRae has in several books. He has one on archaeology in the Old Testament, which is, and it's really readable, and I really enjoy it. And then he has another one, archaeology in the New Testament, so both Old and New Testament. And those are a few. If people want, I have a whole bibliography on this. There's a number of books, but those are some of, of my favorites. And uh, speaking of that, there was a guy, um, uh, William Ramsey, uh, was, a, was a famous archaeologist who studied in Germany at Tübingen, and Tübingen was very liberal, was very liberal, still is, theologically speaking, in denying the reliability, not just the inerrancy, but reliability of the Bible, and so on and so forth. And at any rate, he went over in, into Israel, but he was basically operating under what we call higher critical presuppositions, and yet he actually found that the Bible was reliable. Indeed, he started to use the Bible to find places. And he says, for example, so Lystra should be this far from Derby. so when he found one, he was able to find the yeah, other one yeah. because of the proximity mentioned in the book of Acts. So he used it, and he found uh, just an, an incredible amount of things, and a lot of his research is still available. He wrote over 10 volumes, so William Ramsey, He's one of my favorites. Now that's, but uh, the Book of Acts and Archaeology would be uh, another book. It's just a classic uh, that Ramsey wrote. So those would be some of my favorites. I just mentioned four right there. Really appreciate that, PCH. Ladies and gentlemen, again, we have about 30 minutes left in the broadcast, a little bit less than 30. 888 is the number, 888 I see Facebook uh, folks out there. You're sending us some questions. We appreciate that. We're going to try to get to them momentarily. Terry, hang in there. Brock, hang in there. We're going to try to deal with one of these Facebook questions, if you would, Brian. If you see that on there, we can uh, deal with one of those questions as well. And everything else is Bible Info Brokers, Bible Info Brokers for Facebook, email, and dot com website or tweeting us or messengering us on the Bible Info Brokers address. B, you want to take this one right here? Uh, from our friend uh, Reverend Phil? Yeah, well, take take Karen's. Take Karen's first. Karen. Yes. Um, hello, one? please explain First Timothy 2.11. Does this preclude women being pastors? First, was that First Timothy 2.11? Yeah. Let's see what that says. First Timothy 2.11. You got it there, B? I'm going there. All right. There we go. We hear the pages turning. Uh, yeah. Let a woman quietly uh, receive instruction with uh, entire submissiveness. Craig, is that talking about women, uh, uh, anything about women's pastor being a pastor or not in that particular verse? No, you, have to, you have to move down to later yes. verses for the end of the chapter. Mm-hmm. So I would argue, she, I mean, she has something to say, but that's just the beginning of, of that teaching. You, you need to move down to... Uh, the last couple of verses in chapter 2. Well, I'll just read the rest. Let a woman quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness, but I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. For it was Adam who was first created, and, the, and then Eve 
So we're dealing with the order of creation right there. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being quite deceived fell into uh, transgression. But women shall be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctify with self-restraint. Yeah, that, that pretty much pretty much says it in regards to the females as uh, the women as pastors. I think uh, we 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 I don't know if we deal with we, this a couple we of weeks ago. That. We deal with that. We've dealt with this a hundred times, and, 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 and it's a very very serious question. Yeah. I think it, it, I think it's going to have consequences. I personally, believe just like any other consequences that you have on the things that you do while in the in Christ. And so, if you're a female pastor, or if you are doing something in the, in the work that you're doing, you're doing it with a bad motivation or something like that. Those are the things I personally believe that's going to be suffering loss when, it, when we get to the bama seat of Christ, and He's going to judge those things we did since we've been in Him and supposed to be following His word. And you're going to get the argument, Craig uh, and Daryl. Well, look at the the the, the times. Look at the culture. The culture. Right now. That that's always going to come up. Well, it's culture now; it's a different culture. But you just read about the creation, or uh, in that particular verse, or it could be verses that you just read about that, as far as being. But, but uh, the creation bottom line thing. is, God's word doesn't change, and that's mm-hmm. uh, you know, people change, cultures change, but the fact is, God doesn't change, and His well, word sure. doesn't change. And the typical argument you hear is, is yeah, that that, that is very well. Some just say, you know. Paul's a patriarchal pig, uh, that blunt. But, of course, I would argue he's an apostle and you are. Um, but at any rate, uh, you know, it sounds sexist, and I realize that. And this is one of the views we wish we could change and just accommodate to the culture. Accommodation is kind of an operative word in our culture. We just want to accommodate. We want to adapt. We want to conform to the world, which... By the way, of course, Romans, for example, 12, 1 and 2 tells us not to do it, not to be conformed, but be transformed, or we get our word metamorphosis by anachinosis, the renewing of our minds. But yeah, the, one of the major arguments is, Brian, as you said, it says, well, that's just, if, if Paul's just not a sexist pig, it's that, well, he, he, that's just the culture, and it was only for them. And there are some practices that are temporal, but there are some that are eternal. But we notice, and you brought it out, Brian, that there he appeals not to, well, the culture, oh, here's what you should do given the culture. He appeals to creation. He appeals to the very order of creation, not just to some temporal cultural dynamics. And there are some things, I mean, for example, the length of women's hair or, you know, even clothing or whatever, the canon does change. But, but, the issue is here they're saying it's what it's just for that time. But Paul, he doesn't say for that time. He appeals to creation, again, Adam and Eve. And, and by the way, R.C. Sproul in a very good book called uh, uh, Knowing Scripture does a phenomenal job in that fairly brief book. Knowing Scripture by R.C. Sproul and giving sound what are called hermeneutical principles, the science and art of interpretation, hermeneutics. The discipline hermeneutics. He does a great job in that book. Again, knowing Scripture by R. C. Sproul, S. P. R. O. U. L. But but the, my other point is the word there is authenteo is is the Greek word used, and authenteo means to exercise power or authority on one's own behalf. In other words, someone claims to have an authority, they're exercising it, but they don't have it. 
it's they are self-appointed or it's their own authority. So could you imagine me going out on the road and telling people to stop? <laughs> and I have, I mean, they probably run me over, but I have no right to do, I have no authority now. A, a duly constituted authorized police officer does, right? right? right. They, because they, 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 we as the government has established them as, well, what's the term? Police officers, but it's, it's to keep the peace, to keep order. And so, but if I do that, I would be exercising authority on my own behalf, but I don't have that authority. And so what it's saying there is that women who take the pastorate, and you can try to slice this any way you want. We've heard all the arguments. Well, she's under the head of pastor's authority, or I've heard um, right. pastors say, well, she's under my authority. No, you don't have the authority to give that authority to her. It's crisis that's church. That's not your prerogative. <laughs> yeah. Now, last time I checked, we're all under shepherds. We're Indeed. all ordained. We're ministers of the gospel. But I don't have that authority. My authority is only to be faithful to Scripture and to proclaim what Scripture says. I was never given the right to, to come up with my own doctrines to make the Bible conform to what I want, what I wanted to say for my ease and comfort. So there are certain things I cannot do. Now, I'm, an individual congregation could grant me the authority, right, guys? We, mm-hmm. An individual congregation could give us the authority to do something. But the key point is, but God didn't give it. That's it. And to abrogate that to myself is authenteo, which is the sin of of basically getting, uh, driving one's own authority and putting that above Scripture. And Paul, is, Paul uh, talked about it. Least a no-no. What did Paul say? I didn't die for you. Apollos, well, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul. No, 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 it's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus in this church. 888 uh, Thank you very much for that question, Karen. 888 Guys, let's go back to the phone because I understand from our uh, esteem screener, Mr. Eric, he said these folks are driving. I want to keep both hands on the wheel, and we're going to talk to Brock first. Brock, thanks for calling from Hawthorne. Hey. Hey, brother, uh, how you doing? I am stopped. <laughs> okay, we're going we're gonna to put Brock on hold. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead, Brock. <laughs> <laughs> um. Thanks for everything you guys do. It's a blessing. And I want to encourage um, PCH to maybe pursue, I don't know if it's an outline or writing under a pen name, but um, kind of what you what you want for the church or what you see would be good. A um, hypothetical uh, large, you know, movement as far as money here, boycott this, go there. I don't know, something like that, but maybe it'll be fiction. Um, my question for the night is um, where Revelation 14 would fit in um, from a dispensational perspective as far as, like, chronologically. Um, the way I've been reading it is just each chapter, one after another, and um, I guess I'm seeing it, and maybe you can see if I'm getting this wrong here. Um, after the second woe, there's like some explanations of stuff going on in heaven. And then Revelation 14 is arguably in, in heaven. But, um, you know, after that, then, then they, uh, have the, I think it's, um, the seven angels pouring out the wrath. So I was just wondering your view on that. And as Revelation 14, you're saying something about the second woe. Brock, is that what you said? Um, 
No, I, uh, not really. I just meant, yeah, it's between the second woe and the seven angels pouring out the wrath. Okay, and so you're just trying to get an understanding of that? Yeah, I mean, is would Revelation, I mean, it, I mean, obviously 14 is in between, you know, 12 and um, 16. I was just wondering, like, uh, from the dispensational point of view, um, does that all line up? Craig, I'm, Brock, I'm not understanding the question personally, but maybe Craig is, and Brian is understanding, and I'm not understanding the question. I, I, get, I think he's asking what order is you know the the, the, the timing that are of it? taking place and mm-hmm. the timing what order is it is chapter 14 pretty much in the right place before chapter 15 and before 13 is that kind of what you're asking uh asking Brock Yeah I mean the, when reading revelation is it okay to read it in Re- order like that like, You know like Daryl you oh, have okay. you have the bible yeah. in chronological yeah, order okay. so, I, I, I would say this so, real- I don't know if this particular uh, verses are dealing with that in order, but you, you know how you watch a movie sometime and they say something like 10 years later, 15 years, uh, and all that type of stuff. It could be like that. Like the Bible, chronologically, they have Job in there in between uh, Genesis. After a few verse, chapters in Genesis, if you look at the, what I, I post daily, this is what the chronology best, uh, these particular scholars understand it, to put the Bible in a chronological order. Right. So he's not taking the book. Now he's taking the chapters. I understand that. I'm just not familiar with all the events there to know what order they should be in. But maybe, Craig, are you familiar with this to be able to, to tell them if the order is right, like 14 is sitting where it is, and he can just read 12, 13, 14, and everything is in order? Well, I, I would argue, uh, here's my understanding of it, and, and I'm not sure I can speak from a dispensational point of view, but I can speak from a premillennial <laughs> point of view. And, and, and well, at least I can tell you their view. So I would see Revelation 14 is, is, is minimally, in my understanding, is going to be after... So it's in the tribulation period, of course, for those of us who believe in a literal seven-year tribulation period, and I do. And then it would be after, indeed, the great tribulation. It would be somewhere in the great tribulation, which is the last three and a half years, right? So because the judgments have already started. And how I understand, Brock, 14, a big part of it at least, it kind of gives you it's it's not so much as a change in chronology, although it does happen at times, even the book of Genesis, right? But it but it kind of takes you to heaven, and it, so it's talking about the judgments and their effect upon earth and what's going on, and then towards the latter, the latter, the big part of the latter half of of uh, Revelation 14 gives you the heavenly perspective. It kind of shifts back to heaven and tells you. God's perspective of what's going on and what what's transpiring and what have you. So, and then fifteen goes back into, of course, and here's what's going on 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 Earth. So it's a, it'd be like if I can use this, and I'm not trying to denigrate it or downplay it. It's kind of like a movie. You, you might be in an actual scene. Let's say it shows. Let's say it shows uh, some guys fighting or an army, a battalion, or whatever, in in some pitched battle. And then all of a sudden it, 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 it goes, 
uh, and it pops out and goes to another scene of, of, of commanders uh, strategizing and what they had planned and what they were expecting or hoping would happen in this battle. And in this case, we're not necessarily going back or even forward. It's it's actually would be have been occurring simultaneous, but it's a shift in location or scene, if you will. That's how I understand at least Revelation 14 and its relevance to 13 and 15. Okay. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say the end of Revelation 14 talks about angels, the sickles, and reaping. Yes. So that just reminds right. me of the rapture. It, so I was just like, oh, okay, well, when I think. Well, that I would argue is already. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, sorry, go back again to this. So, yeah, it, it does come back to. It ends with going back into the judgment. But, but 14, look at verse. Nine, it tells us, the angel tells us, well, excuse me, even look at six. I saw another angel flying right in midair, and he had the eternal gospel. And then later on, it talks about Babylon falling, verse eight. And then, of course, that's described later on in 1819. But then look at verse nine through 12. This is talking, this is this angel talking about what's going on and its significance and about what's the significance if somebody gets the mark of the beast. So we've clearly got to be, I'm going to argue, in the Great Tribulation, the last three and a half years, and then here's this kind of, I don't want to say sidebar, but a change in scene, and you're warned, okay, here's why you just shouldn't take the mark of the beast, because if you do, you're doomed. Right? And then, then, then towards the end, as you mentioned, it starts going back into the judgments again. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's what I'm saying. That's, what it, that's how those movies do. Yeah. Okay, thank you. All right, appreciate you, Brock. Yeah, that's you know that, that I've seen those uh, movies or things we see like two weeks later or three weeks or four hours ago and that type of thing going back and forth to try to put a, a chronology on it is um is interesting. I mean, you know, you could do it. It just uh, takes a little work. It takes a little work, guys. We only have about yeah. another ten minutes left in the broadcast. Go ahead, Craig. What do you say? Well, by the way, fifteen actually technically still is is this kind of heavenly vision because fifteen Continue is incredible. Yeah. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign: seven angels with the seven last plagues. So it talks about what's coming, but then it it, it gives us this snapshot of heaven. It talks about, for example, and I saw what looked like a, a like a sea. And normally, a sea here would be a is often symbolic of humanity. Sometimes it's a literal sea, but it can also be of humanity. Notice, and I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea are those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and over the number of his name. They had hearts given to them by God, and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great, and let me just read this part here. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the Ages. Who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. So we get this shot as we're right to go back into these additional judgments that are just on the way. So the heaven kind of, like other prophetic books, switches snapshots or pictures or scenes, if you will, yeah. Even if it's not switching, sometimes it does the chronological aspect, but sometimes it's not. It's just simply a different venue or another scene that's relevant to whatever's going on at the time. Indeed. You know, Craig, uh, from one bibliophile to another, you're a major bibliophile. What you, you call him? Bibliophile. Okay, just want to make sure you said it right. 
question, Craig, is there, I'm going to ask you this, is there a book that does a pretty good job of interpreting uh, all the symbolism that takes place in the book of Revelation? Well, yeah, I, that's a great question, Brian. I don't think there's any one book that I would recommend here, but there's m- many. Uh, Newell, N-E-W-E-L-L, his commentary on Revelation, I'm very partial to it. I think it's helpful. Um, and what's it called? That, uh, well, his name is Newell, N-E-W-E-L-L, that's the author. Okay. Uh, his commentary on the book of Revelation, Newell on Revelations. Revelation, not it's not Revelations. I just did it myself. It's singular. Uh, <laughs> Revelation. Oh, I know. <laughs> and uh, and again, uh, there's there's many other. I believe I'm trying to remember. Oh, I'm going to forget his name. We're all having senior moments tonight, Eric. Not we, you guys. Yeah, <laughs> Eric had one with his. Yeah, Daryl, right. Uh, <laughs> your senior moment is you forgot you had a senior moment. There you go. I'll work with that. I'll work with that. Uh, but uh, I'll think of his name hopefully before the program. He has a nice series that I really like his comment. Oh, I like a bunch of them, but I think he has a good commentary. Also, I would say Expositors, Expositors Bible Commentary yeah. mm-hmm. on the Book of Revelation, I think is very good as well. Okay, cool. Hey, guys, look, we only have about five minutes left in the broadcast. Let's take the Earl's call from Glendale. Then we have a Facebook question maybe we can do after Earl. Um, Earl from Glendale, thanks for calling in. Hello. Yes, um, I want to comment, ask about a man that called in about Muhammad Ali. Mm-hmm. Muhammad Ali's original name was Cassius Clay. Right. Mm-hmm. He defeated Lenny, Sonny Liston when he was Cassius Clay. And he mm-hmm. defeated George Foreman when he was Muhammad Ali in the 10th round. He was the best boxer of all time, except for D- Douglas Buster, who is now. And I might be wrong. I'm going to be somebody else. But Douglas Buster came really close. I'm wondering. I'm wondering why he why he glorifies Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali is a, is a rebel. He uh, adhered to the Islamic faith. Yeah, let me let me let me comment on that real quickly. Ron, I do appreciate your phone call. I'll just go ahead and take you off, but I'm gonna answer the question uh, as you listen in. Um, the, the bottom line of the gentleman's call was just about Muhammad Ali. Uh, standing up for his right as a, um, a conscientious objector to the war. And it wasn't, he was just talking about as far as having leaders like that, not in the church, but not glorifying him as uh, anything else other than uh, he was talking about having a leader like that. And so that's what we were speaking on. And it's interesting that we just read Revelation 15 talking about the only one that is going to be glorified is the Lord indeed. So that's that's my answer to that. Guys, you have anything else you want to add to that? Well, yeah, I mean, quickly, I mean, he was a phenomenal fighter. We can debate whether he was the best mm-hmm. or, or whatever, but, but, I mean, clearly he was incredible as yes. a fighter. But, but, but my concern was, would be, well, he got into the Nation of Islam, and Fard had him uh, denounce and separate from Malcolm X, who he'd been good friends with. Right. And because of Malcolm X's criticism of Fard, Fard was a philanderer. He was known, he was having, he had multiple uh, children from multiple women, many of his, like seven of his secretaries, and, and, and to his, and I'll get in trouble for this one, but it's so be it. But um, Malcolm X um, had trouble with that, and he called him out for that. And mm-hmm. for that, basically, uh, Malcolm X was excommunicated from the Nation of Islam. Yeah, that's it, indeed. So, and 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 Ali did not back him. He he went along with Fard because he was allegedly seen seen to have the keys of the kingdom, if you will. 
So, and we were glorified no man. And, that, and that, actually the name was Buster Douglas uh, as far as the way he said it was just the, the opposite. I remember that fight with him and um, um, what's that guy named? Um, my man um, Tyson. Ooh, that was an interesting fight. But anyway, we, we, we digress. Guys, uh, Brian, we have a question here on Facebook. I want to see if we can. Uh, Why don't you read it, Joe? Because I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and read it and see if I can um, bring it up. You know what? Because of the timing. And it's uh, Reverend Phil. We're gonna do this question next week, uh, so let us let us handle that question next week, guys. I want to get your closing thoughts as we um, only have about three three minutes or so left, and I want to give you guys an opportunity to express whatever was on your heart. I'm gonna say this. I'm gonna just just to uh, let the audience know to uh, test to test things that that they hear, and not just assume that. It's it's right. It's wrong. Um, but when someone says something uh, regarding, I guess, the Bible or, or a cult or whatever, test, test what they say, especially with the Bible. And, and that's where it's coming from. Test all things. Hold fast to that which is true. Because it's funny, people don't, they don't want to hear the truth. <laughs> they don't want, they don't want to, you know, a lot of times it's going to cramp their style. Okay. But Test everything that people say, and you definitely will not go wrong. And you're testing it by God's word. Professor, you like that word test, I'm sure. So what's your closing thoughts? I do, but I want to major in the majors. And so, some, you know, a group was brought up, or a, a gal in particular, and there's, there's this theory and that theory, and, and there's all kinds of things we could spend our whole life researching. I want to encourage people to spend their whole life knowing the gospel and sharing it with people. I, I want to prioritize. I have a lot of interests. I have a lot of things that I like to study, but my priority is mainly the Bible, is the gospel, and sharing it with others, and, and equipping myself by the power of God, the Spirit of God, through the Word of God, to winsomely but hopefully effectively share the gospel with those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ and to help build up those who are Christians. That's, to me, the ultimate use of our life, the best use of our life. We can enjoy and do a lot of things, but if you want the most profitability, then spend it getting to know the Lord and introducing others to Him. And I'll I'll just piggyback on that last thing you said, getting uh, people introduced and knowing the Lord. Folks, when you do that, please don't do that in the idea of a cookie-cutter type of way. I'm not suggesting that tracks and things like that are not effective, but what I'm saying to it's a personal relationship. If you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you have a obligation or privilege, just like you did if you had to cure cancer, to let people know about this Savior of ours who loved you and died for you, died for the world. So please, 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 in your personal life, consider that you were... You you are alive because someone died for you. You are alive spiritually because someone died for you. Please, please, please don't dishonor that. Don't deny Christ by not sharing him with all that you possibly can. And so on behalf of the whole listening audience and also our Bible Information Brokers team, this is Daryl Easy D. Fulton. I am Mama Grace and Big Daddy's baby boy saying the Lord is willing. We will be back next week with more of the Bible Information Brokers with your questions and answers. And so please don't forget to let somebody know about this broadcast and please let somebody know there's a God in heaven that loves them. God bless you. See you next week.